Thank you for downloading the Barbecue Central Show. Maybe you're listening to this now because you missed the live version Tuesdays from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Barbecue Central Show is brought to you by these sponsors, which I am extremely grateful for. The Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic temperature control devices. Their website, thebbqguru.com. Big Papa Smokers, creators of some of the best rubs out there and retailer of many different grills and barbecue products. Their website, bigpapasmokers.com. Butcher's Barbecue, creators of injections, rubs, and seasonings. Their website, butchersbbq.com. Green Mountain Grills, some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. And their website is greenmountaingrills.com. Also by Cookshack, some of the best industrial electric smokers out there today. Also pellet cookers as well. Their website is cookshack.com. Cookinpellets.com. If you want to fire those pellet cookers that I just talked about, visit cookinpellets.com to buy your pellets right now. Also by the Chops Power Injector. Forget about using one needle to inject your meats. The Chops Power Injector system has four needles for your injecting pleasure. You can visit them at barbecuekansascity.com. That's B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E, KansasCity.com. And by the Sam's Club National Barbecue Tour, you can visit kcbs.us slash samstour for results, to register your team, or to see where the next event will be taking place. And by Pit Barrel Cooker, one of the most unique and efficient cookers out there in the market right now. Visit their website at pitbarrelcooker.com. And by Unknown Barbecue Accessories. You can visit them at unknownbbq.com slash shop. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. All right, good evening, and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central show. This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. And we're broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, more than happy to have you. It's a phone call, 216-220-0966. You can also email the show, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website. And here's what's happening in case you didn't get the uh, the newsletter a little earlier today. Coming up at the 914 and 1014 slots. The second Tuesday of the month brings the second Tuesday of the month regular guest, the creator of AmazingRibs.com, author of a New York Times best-selling book, I might add, Meathead Goldwyn, joining us for not one but two segments, as he always does. And on the agenda this evening, and we've talked about it on this show now and again, but especially this time of year, 
A lot of people getting into the beef roast type of stuff, so we want to make sure that you have all the good information to make sure that you're executing your beef roasts well and gaining the fame and adulation from all of the guests and family members that you're going to be having over at your house. Then, in the second hour, we tried this like a month, month and a half ago, and it flamed in spectacular fashion. The first time, actually, it was Super Tuesday night, election night. We tried to run down Kenji Lopez-Alt. Didn't work out. The election, again, very important to some people. Then we hooked him up uh, last week or the week before, and I uh, totally forgot. Get that big stuff out of here. So uh, my blow-off, his blow-off, canceled each other out. And tonight at 10.14 and possibly 10.35 from Sirius Eats and the Food Lab, Kenji Lopez-Alt. As I said in the newsletter and on the Facebook post, tonight, perhaps more than any night ever except for the competition roundtables, the College of Barbecue, the College of Cooking in general, the science of cooking in general is in session. So if you've always wanted to go to college, if you wanted to get that highly coveted degree, then this is where you need to be tonight. Send everybody that you know the links to the show. Because Kenji and Meathead will be on this evening. Here's where you want to send them. For audio only, which I understand. I wouldn't want to look at me for two hours, but I have to. My website is a place to go. TheBBQCentralShow.com and then click on the Listen Live or Live Now button. It's huge. It's red. It's right at the top of the screen. You can't miss it. That will link you over to TuneIn. That is the audio stream of the show. If you want to watch it, you can do it a couple different places. You can go to the longtime syndication partner of this show, Outdoor Cooking Channel, OutdoorCookingChannel.com slash watch-now. We had a little bit of a hiccup with that last week. I'm not sure exactly what the problem was, but I went back through, checked everything. Of course, we are now running under the new Tower of Power for the second week in a row, and I'll get to that here in a second. But I had to go back through the old computer, looked at some settings. There might have been one or two things missing that I didn't think were actually going to be errors because I didn't ever I never got an error message last week that the show wasn't transmitting to Outdoor Cooking Channel. In fact, it told me you're broadcasting live to Outdoor Cooking Channel, but as we all remember, not necessarily the case. But I've tested and retested over the course of the week and here we are back again on Outdoor Cooking Channel. I'm very excited about that. Now you can watch me and take part in the chat and not have to jockey back and forth to Facebook. Although Facebook has been one of the biggest jumps as far as live uh, 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 hold on a second gotta check this out really um sorry about that could it be that might fix it so anyway I checked and rechecked, and here we are. We're back live, local, late breaking. Uh, Facebook has really increased the number of live viewers because I think, look, I I understand this show might not be on your radar Tuesday at 9 o'clock. You want to remember it, but you don't remember it because you have a life and you have some things happening and all this other stuff. But when you see it in the Facebook feed, a lot of people like to jump on, which I really like. So, hey. Get it on Facebook if you want to as well. Follow me on Facebook. 
slash greg.rempe. That's where you get the live one. Very nice. So, uh, also on Roku, if you have uh, IP television, go to the App Store, look for Outdoor Cooking Channel, and download it, and off you go. Off you go. All right. Here, who's calling in already? 478. I rarely call, I rarely take calls in the first hour. I might as well go. If somebody's calling in, then perhaps something is not good. Area code 478, name and where you're calling from. Dublin, Georgia. Hi, Dublin, Georgia. You're live on the air. Hey, man, what's going on? You tell me. Uh, well, I've seen a bunch of people on uh, the TV show Smoke. They put their pants, they put their Boston butts, and they cut their money muscles up, trim them up nice. And they trim them up and put them up in the pan. Is it better to cook them in the pan or just straight on the grill? What do you think? For competition? Yeah, for competition. So you slice your money muscle. And I always just cook mine straight on the grill. Yeah, I mean, that's what I do. I know a lot of competition guys use... Uh, use the pans, but I don't have a I don't have a percentage on that. But that's something that we can fish out during the show. If you're going to watch, maybe we can uh, we can get some feedback in the instant chat, and I can ask some of the pitmasters that I'll have on tonight. That's right. What time are you going on? I'm on right now. What are you talking about? Hence, live oh, on the on air. Right that's right. Oh, uh, you're live on Facebook right now. I'm right, right now on Facebook, on Roku, on Outdoor Cooking Channel. You name it. Here I go. That's cool, man. I was just curious about that, you know, because we're about to cook fifty Boston butts next weekend, but there's no way we can. Oh, I would put. put I would cook as. I would cook as many of those in a pan as possible. That's going to be a considerable mess on in the grill, though. Oh yeah, last year we caught fire. Yeah, I would. I would not want that. I would not want that. Pan it, and then no fire. No fire is better than fire. That is correct. That's, That's right. correct, my friend. I enjoy your post, and I like you live, my friend. All right. Thanks so much for calling in. There's that guy from Georgia. It is not Dan from Wachula, Doug. It is not. <laughs> I never get a call in. For, I, I guess he didn't know I was live. That's all right. No problem there. Uh, that call completely shot the open segment right in the butt. So let me first say this. Um, pa, pa, pa. let's see. Blaine Hunter from Porky Butts Barbecue will be on, I believe, in two weeks' time. He is your Kansas City Barbecue Society Team of the Year. Congratulations. Also, I do want to mention, and I'm not going to be able to give near the amount of time to this that I had planned, is uh, shouting out which I hate to use that term, but it just seems to make sense to me. Darren and Sherry Worth from Iowa Smokey D's having, short of being the team of the year, because I believe under every circumstance they had zero interest in chasing that, although they did 40 contests in 14 different states, they had 12 grand championships, one in FBA, one in IBCA, 10 in KCBS. Two major championships, Sam's Club National and the American Royal Open. That was the second time they've done that. 
12 reserve grand championships, nine perfect 180 scores, six 700-plus finishes, two of them 712-plus, and the list goes on. Perhaps we'll get more of that in the second hour. We'll see how it goes. Meathead Goldwyn coming up out of the break. Congratulations again to uh, Darren and Sherry Worth. Iowa Smokey D's just on a great season. And Blaine Hunter from Porky Butts Barbecue, KCBS Team of the Year. He will be on in two weeks' time, as I said. All right, folks, let me talk to you quickly about the longest-running sponsor of the show located in Warminster, Pennsylvania, the Barbecue Guru. Gang, if you've been thinking about automatic pit temperature control devices, this is the one for you. They started it all. Why are you going to buy from anybody else? I don't know. If you're not familiar with how these little beauties work, I'm not going to get into the minute detail, but imagine a product that allows you to set your pit temperature in one set, keeps it running, at that temperature all the way through the cook. Sound too good to be true? It's not. It's real life. You can take advantage of this technology right today. Because, like me, yes, maybe you're a busy working professional. Or perhaps you're constantly on the run with kids doing errands. And quite frankly, you just don't have the time to set around in 10 pit temperatures. I get it. The Barbecue Guru allows you to throw on a pork butt or a brisket or a couple slabs of ribs. And you're off to do whatever it is you need to get done. And the Guru maintains that pit temperature you set it at. number of different models to choose from. We all know that. The top of the line, the one that is very popular on the competition circuit, the CyberQ Wi-Fi generating its own Wi-Fi signal. However, can also hook up to home networks. Has the ability to run two separate pits. You have, I believe, up to four internal monitors of your meat as well. So you can hook up your smart device, whatever that is, or a computer, anything Wi-Fi related. And then you can monitor your pit temperatures. If you're going too low or too high, you can ramp up, ramp down accordingly. And you can see where your meat temperature internally is. It's great. Now, the opposite side of the spectrum here is the Party Q. This is a self-contained model. It runs on AA batteries. It's a cruise control for your pit. You don't have internal meat temperature thermometers here, but you can set your pit temperature, and off it goes in 5-degree increments. Very easy to use. Very inexpensive. If you want that gateway drug into automatic pit temperature control technology, the Party Q, aptly named, is the one you might want to check out. Here's what you do. Head on over to The BBQ Guru. Check out their products. And if you have any questions, don't guess. Call them. 800-288-GURU. That's 800-288-GURU. They'll make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box. 800-288-GURU or thebbqguru.com. The Barbecue Guru continues to be a breakthrough in barbecue technology. All right. All right. Meathead Goldwyn, yes, yes. Coming up out of the break. Stick around. Be right back. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Hey, welcome back. That didn't work out. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Green Mountain Grills manufacturers of some of the best pellet cookers out there on the market today. If you're looking for something that houses a lot of food, 
This might be the one for you. Now, maybe you're looking for something medium-sized. Certainly they can do that as well. Or tailgate size. Yes, tailgate size is possible. Just look for it for crying out loud. GreenMountainGrills.com is the place you want to go. That's GreenMountainGrills.com. And joining me now is the second Tuesday of the month guest. He is a friend of mine. He is a New York Times best-selling author. He is a uh, Amazon.com top 10 2016 book of the year and the creator of AmazingRibs.com. Meathead Goldwyn is here and he's got his Johnny Rockets hat on. What's up, Meathead? Nah, that's my butcher's hat, dude. Oh, that's right. a butcher hat. Butcher hat, of course. I, you know me. I love the fast food burgers, so I go right to Johnny Rockets. You know, I have never eaten at a Johnny Rockets. I am due. Uh, you know, it's not life changing, if I'm being honest. But it's it's uh, there's aesthetics, there's nostalgia of a time where you know, of course, that was way before my time, but. You know, I like to go in there and see what it might have been in the 1950s or whatever that was, like Joni and Chachi. You know, I I look a bit like a <laughs> Afghan. Yeah. Are we ha- or are we going to be talking horse barbecue tonight or what? <laughs> All right, maybe not. Well, we were going to talk about um, beef roast That's right. and uh, other holiday uh, roasts. So I. I thought I'd wear my butcher's hat. Meathead, let me ask you something. Let me diverge since I brought up horse meat. Uh, would you be averse to – I did a, a pit cast, I think, two weeks ago on horse meat. And I'm just wondering, is, as a perfectly suitable source of meat, do you have any high-level thoughts on horse meat and if we should really kind of get that going? People are very against it. Yeah, actually, it was banned for a while. One of the few still banned. Um, yeah, one of the few um, uh, horse slaughterhouses was here in Illinois, not far from me, and uh, they've actually made it legal again. Um, it was a way to deal with older animals, and uh, uh, you know, instead of killing them and then throwing them in the garbage heap. They were able to get meat out of it, and uh, they were sending it to homeless shelters. Although, you know, there are places in Europe where it is enjoyed and beloved, and uh, I've had it. I've had it um, uh, grilled well. It's tasty. It's nothing yeah. spectacular. I, um, you know, I've I've ridden horses and enjoyed them, and uh, you know, I'd be kind of like eating dog meat. And uh, I got my girl Reese right here. Would it, but would really, eat. would it really be like eating dog meat? I mean, why does the cow don't? Why does a cow not get a pass, or a goat, or yeah, a sheep, or a hog? Have I don't you ever get looked it. Looked in the eyes of a cow. I mean, those are right. just so docile, tender, delicious, succulent. Oh, we're not talking about the same thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's, I think it's one of the most bizarre. You have a perfectly good outlet for more meat. Because, you know, red meat is an endless supply, of course. You have a perfectly good outlet for potentially bringing a new meat into the market and horse. And everybody wants to be like, hey, it's it's Mr. Ed. Or it, it's somehow the horse has made it to the cat and the dog side of the fence. And everybody else yeah, is ready to yeah. eat. It's bizarre. And, you know, they say pigs are smarter than dogs. Uh, yeah. um, you know, there's a lot of talk, serious talk, 
among people who are concerned about our food supply. You know, the population continues to grow. Yeah. Um, about um, insects as a serious supply of protein. I um, have never played with cooking insects. I have read recipes for it. I once had a friend serve me chocolate-covered wasps, unbeknownst to me. Um, they were kind of nice, crunchy, and it, you put chocolate on anything and it's good. Sure. Um, but, I mean, um, there are viable sources of protein in, uh, in, in, in insects. Uh, locusts, grasshoppers are supposed to be really tasty. Uh, I'm game for anything. You know, I'll eat anything. I'm, I'm no detective. I'm no detective, but I might smell AmazingInsects.com. <laughs> Watch out. The next big windfall for Meathead. All right, so let's uh, let's go to uh, beef roasts. Uh, as I'd said in the open, this is certainly a time of the year. I mean, everybody eats a lot of red meat, as we just talked about. Roasts are very popular, but this time of year, especially, it does seem to be a centerpiece uh, for most holiday get-togethers. So let's make sure that we're passing along the good info and that people don't screw it up. Well, we, we before we dive in, I want to just uh, uh, echo your comments on. Uh, Smokey D's and Darren and uh, uh, the Warths. Um, those guys just know how to cook. Uh, they competed in an event in western Illinois, northern Illinois, last spring. And uh, I happened to be hanging out with them, and they were kind enough to let me taste all their meats. And they were just breathtaking. I've judged... Um, and, uh, every single one of their meats, I walked back after I tasted it and I said, I don't see how you can't win best in class with this. <laughs> and son of a gun, he scored a perfect 180 wow. and won grand championship. Then it was a back to back event. The second day he won grand championship. The second day, this guy knows how to cook. He has really thought his way through it. And we know that the judging procedure is flawed. It's badly flawed. And, you know, it really is in so many ways um, a grab bag, you know. But on the other hand, when you see guys like Iowa Smokey D's and float to the top week after week, mm. they are on to something. He's figured something out. Something. He has figured something out. Yeah. They really are good, and I don't know if he offers classes, but if he does, I'd encourage everyone to go. I have not been to his restaurants yet, and they're not far. I really want to go. This guy is just phenomenal. Uh, um, it's something else that came up, uh, you're talking about Kenji. Is he coming on after me? 10-14 tonight. He, this guy, if your readers, your listeners don't know Kenji Lopez-Alt, he wrote the foreword to my book. Yes. Um, he is the managing editor of Serious Eats, which is a brilliant website. He's a great writer and a good photographer. And his book, The Food Lab, is the finally is the first book that has bumped Julia Child to like number two on my bookshelf. Uh, his book, The Food Lab, is required reading. And he wrote it mostly living in an apartment in New York City. So there's almost no grilling. And a lot of people who are into cooking seriously um, sent me pictures on Facebook of his book and my book side by side as companions because he approaches food in a similar way to me, only he's smarter than I am 
funnier than I am, better looking than I am. And uh, really, he's an MIT guy. He used to uh, be a restaurant chef, and he worked for Cook's Illustrated. So he's a better cook than I am. Um, so I, you know, if if you guys are into cooking, this is a guy to start paying attention to if you haven't stumbled into him. He really knows his stuff, and you're very lucky to have him on. Um, he's a lot of fun too. He's 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 a witty fellow. Oh, we're going to be going after some very, pardon the pun, hot topics, and you know, sous vide barbecue was going to oh, be yeah. high ranking on the list. So we're going to be yeah, talking we about talked that. about sous vide you and I a few weeks ago, and I'll be yeah. I'll be curious to hear what he has to say about the subject because it really the two I call it water and fire. The two just are made for each other, um, and uh, I think a lot of us are going to be playing with that over the next year or two. Um, a couple of tidbits of news from AmazingRibs.com before we dive into beef. Um, we just today published a salt conversion calculator. It's pretty cool. If you enter like one unit of table salt, it converts that into kosher salt, pickling salt, uh, Morton's kosher salt, um, crystal co- kosher salt, which is different volume, um, Windsor kosher salt, uh, just all the different salts, it converts them. So if you encounter a recipe that calls for sea salt and you don't have any and you want to know how much kosher salt that is, this is a calculator. Just enter it. Boom. It does the calculation for you. Real piece of cake. Uh, we just put it up on our salt page. And I'll also put, we have a whole page, if you haven't discovered, we have a whole page of every cooking conversion you could ever think of. Um, And uh, it also does metric and so on, um, some calculators. Um, So we'll have that up there shortly. And we also published, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a curing calculator. So if you're using um, my bacon recipe or the ham recipe or the corned beef recipe, and you want to make more or less, this calculator will help you calculate the proper quantity of um, uh, uh, prog powder number one, which is nitrite and uh, water and so on. So uh, we've put up two new JavaScript calculators that are really kind of cool and really worthwhile. And the last thing, um, I know John Dawson is in the audience. Um, with his help and a bunch of other folks who are serious into the pit barrel cooker, we just put up a whole page devoted to the pit barrel cooker with tips and technique um, and uh, fun stuff on that. So we just did that all in the past couple of days. Wow. Busy stuff. Yeah. So, Beef Rose. Where do we start? Throw up that first picture. All right. You know I got it. I know you do. All right. Here we go. I shouldn't say throw up. No. Put up. Look at that. We've done it. Success. Replicate this, and everybody's happy. Good night, everybody. Thanks for coming. (laughs) Wow, look at There is Sanity Claus in the background (laughs) drooling on his beard. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, to me, that is just absolutely spectacular and gorgeous. Um, And it's funny. When we promote, uh, come to this page and read about cooking beef roasts and people often look at that and they're disgusted they just why didn't you kill it first you know i mean people in your audience have heard me say this but i can't say it enough Uh it ain't blood right it's pink water 
it's water that's turned pink by myoglobin, a protein. And every time you call it blood, Clarence, a bell rings, and somewhere in Indiana, a teenager becomes a vegan. Never! So stop calling it blood. Oh, my God. And a medium rare, 130 degree beef roast. And um, I have a particular way to go about it. Everybody has their own preferences. And unfortunately, they're wrong. No, I, I can't say that. There are a million different ways to cook rib, uh, roast. But one of the things I like to do is I like to get the bone out. Uh, let's slide on down to the next picture. Um, this is what we're trying to combat. combat. Uh -huh. See this a lot in beef roast. Now, that's going to be a delicious beef roast. Um, but you can see we have like a half inch to an inch of well-done beef on the exterior. Yeah. And there is not in the previous picture you've seen none of that, and the the, the 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 trick is is to have none of that. So next picture, okay. Step one. That's my girl Reese. Reese just had her teeth brushed today. She's sitting here next to me groaning. She's not feeling too good, and behind her is Ivy. Um, Hopefully not poison. We're dog people. They're thinking, oh, please. But I take that bone slab off. First of all, that's a meal right there. There's yeah. plenty of meat in between those bones. And that's a great meal. Or you throw that in a stock pot and you can make the most incredible beef stock. But that bone slab is going to alter the heating properties of the meat. It's acting like a heat shield on the space shuttle. It's going to block heat. It reflects heat. And keep in mind, now, that those rib bones, think about it. You eat them. They're a quarter inch or so of calcium. And then the center is filled with marrow, which has got a lot of fat and, um, uh, uh, and then all the cells that create blood. That's where blood is made. And it's also like a honeycomb. It's almost like styrofoam. So it really is a good insulator. And one of the tricks to getting a perfectly evenly cooked roast is to get rid of anything that blocks the heat so it heats evenly throughout. You know, the old um, song about uh, the closer to the bone, the sweeter the meat. Right. Um, that's an old song. Maybe a lot of folks in your audience never heard it. But uh, um, that's because closer to the bone, the meat doesn't cook as well as it does on the other sides. So I'm going to take that off right from the get-go and I'm going to just save that for a meal of smoked beef rib, or I'm going to make a stock out of that. Or I can use it for a gravy for this roast. Okay, next picture. All right, the next thing is, is if you take the bone off, the natural shape of a prime rib. Now, I'm talking about prime rib, but a lot of these rules still apply to a chuck roast, to a... Um, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, a tenderloin? Yes. Um, and for that matter, to a pork roast. You want to get it round. You know how when you make a lasagna or something in a pan, in the corners, it's crusty and crunchy? And yes. I, sometimes I like that I the love best. It. Love it. That's where the cheese gets melted most. Mm. That's because in the corner, it's going to get heat from two sides. Um. The same thing happens when you have an oblong roast, which is the natural shape for prime rib. But if you cinch it up with twine and make it into a cylinder, then you're going to get heat entering it from all sides and entering it evenly. 
So after I get rid of the bone, I trim off a lot of the fat. Now, we've talked about this, but there's a ton of, I mean, you're buying, a, that, that's an expensive cut yes. of meat. And uh, let me see the next slide. I think the next slide is the one I'm looking for. Not one more. Uh, one more. We're going to have to come back for these, Greg. Oh, shit. Next. Next. Oh. Next. Where is that one of a trimming and everything? With all the trimmings. Did we skip any? Uh, there it is. There we go. That's the one. Okay. So here we go. Um, up in the white pan there is the rib slab. And then down here is all the fat that I've trimmed up. <laughs> I'm just helping out. <laughs> no, that's great. I love it. <laughs> you crack me up, dude. Um, and then there's the, the there's the um, uh, the meat. Oof. And there's two muscles there. We'll talk about those in a minute. But you can trim almost 25% of the weight off in fat. Now, I, we all know fat is flavor. But it's not flavor on the outside. It doesn't penetrate. And you can prove this yourself. I've done this. You can just take a piece of beef and cut a little hole in it and fill it with olive oil and walk away. When you come back, it's all still there. Hour, 10 hours. Beef is 70% water. Fat is fat is oil. Oil and water don't mix. That fat on the outside of the meat can't get inside can't moisten the meat, can't penetrate the meat, and the meat is already saturated. There's no room for anything else in there. So um, you get rid of the fat because you're going to put your spice rub on the outside of that meat, right. and you want it on the meat, on the muscle. If you put it on a big, thick layer of fat, the first thing um, your guests are going to do is they're going to trim off this big layer of fat, right. and there go all your spices. So um, trim off as much of the fat, and you can save that. Use it for the next time you're making burgers. You know, I mean, uh, ground chuck is usually around 20% fat, but sometimes it's less. And if you want to go go nuts and make it 30% fat, it doesn't hurt. So save that for uh, making ground beef. or You can even throw that in with the bones for making the stock. But get it off the muscle. Now. Um, I don't know which way to go. We, I want to show the two tubes of meat side by side. Next. Uh, there we go. Okay. So if you're, if you're looking at the front end of the rib primal, um, up by towards the shoulder, up towards the chuck, you have this two muscle structure, um, the eye of the ribeye and the rib cap. And the eye of the ribeye is, you know, a very attractive piece of meat. But the rib cap is really amazing. It's heavily marbled. It's a lot like Wagyu or Kobe beef. And it's easy to get off of there. It, there's this thick layer of fat. And if you think of the last time you ate a ribeye steak, there's this big thick layer of fat. Yep. And the rib cap sits out there and it gets overcooked every time. It goes well done, and the center of the ribeye is fine. You can actually peel this off. On, here we have two um, hunks. On the one on the left, the rib cap is still on there, and you can cook it like that. You can see there's a big chunk of fat in the center, and um, or you can peel it off. Depends on how many people you're feeding. I try to peel it off. 
because if I peel that off, I now have a steak that's a lot like, it looks a lot like a big salmon fillet. It's, it's kind of about four or five inches wide on one end and it tapers to uh, four or five inches wide on one end and it tapers to about two, three inches on the other end. And it's maybe an inch or two thick and it tapers down to about a half inch on the other end. So it looks like a salmon fillet. But this is just unbelievably good steak. And you can hot grill this thing mm. just like you might uh, a thin steak. And it's like Wagyu. It really is. It's unbelievable. Even on a cheap ribeye, um, it's phenomenal. It's the I think it's the best muscle. That's the spinalis dorsi. The eye of the ribeye is the longissimus dorsi. And it's analogous to the loin. That is the loin meat. The same thing as on a pork. Um, that's the loin meat, the muscle that runs along the spine, and it's just absolutely delicious. Now, the fat within the meat is what melts and gives it flavor, not yeah. the fat on top of the meat. So um, that's why we peel it off. And so what I'll often do is cook the one on the right. I'll peel that spinalis or the rib cap off. I'll save that for another meal. I've already taken the slab of ribs off. I save that for another meal. And now I'm going to cook for my guests just the eye of the ribeye. It's going to be fabulous. They're going to love it. There's going to be minimal fat for them to trim. And I'm going to try to get it perfectly cooked edge to edge with no well done. Okay? All right, now. So let's hold that thought because yeah, go we're going to have to take a quick break here. And then we'll get back to the meat talk. Hey, and we're talking with Meathead Goldwyn, by the way, from AmazingRibs.com. So stick with us here, and we'll be right back. I'm going to talk to you quickly about the National Barbecue Association's 2015 and 2016 Tool of the Year, the CHOPS Power Injector System. By the way, humble apologies to Dan Uledal from CHOPS Power Injector System. I totally screwed him out of a segment today. Sorry about that, Dan. I'm going to make it up to you. Uh, but here's what you want to know. There's three different sizes, okay? There's the half-gallon chops power injector system designed for competition people or to pump up the backyard warrior like me. So easy to use, right? Clean it, fill it, pump it, go. You have one brisket or a pork shoulder to do. You don't need to fill it all the way up. Just put in what you need. It uses it all. It comes with 14-gauge needles, two replacement plastic needle adapters, three plug screws, and a needle protector. It's 100 bucks plus you pay the shipping. Then you have the one-gallon chops power injector system. Holds double the amount of the half-gallon. Some use it in competitions, like when you're cooking MBN whole hog or 10 shoulders to get that perfect one. It comes with 14-gauge needles, two replacement plastic needle adapters, three plug screws, and a needle protector. This one's 120 bucks. Plus, you pay the shipping. The newest one, the Chops Full Power Injector System. It's electric. It is the commercial and competition Big Daddy. This is not a holding tank, but a three-and-a-half-foot pickup tube. You can put in any size container. That's right, from a few ounces to a 55-gallon drum. It was originally designed for Chef Rob at the best barbecue restaurant in Kansas City. He said time and time again that with the CHOPS full-power injector system, his briskets are better than ever. It comes with metal needle adapters, 14-gauge needles, 3-inch, 12-gauge needles, 2-inch, 11-and-a-half-gauge needles, 3 plug screws, and a needle protector. 325 bucks plus you pay the shipping. A number of the top pitmasters out there on the competition circuit are using... The CHOPS Power Injector System. Here's the deal. We live in a foodie world that requires flavor in every bite. This is how you do it and do it fast. And it's not just for meat. How about alcohol-infused watermelon? Sure, let's do that. 
hand-assembled in Kansas City, Missouri, USA. If you want extra accessories, they got them. If you want to shoot medium ground spices, they got you covered for that. They have a great upgrade you can buy to make your chops injector bulletproof. Metal needle adapters. Here's what you do. You head on over to the website, barbecuekansascity.com. That's B-A-R-B-E-Q-U-E, barbecuekansascity.com. Choose your size, and then just be happy. You'll figure, how the hell did I even inject with one needle before this? Oh, believe me. All right, more with Meathead right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Get in the smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right. We are back. And we are brought to you this segment by CookingPellets.com, your number one source for quality wood pellets to drive all of your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookingPellets.com or Amazon.com. Download the free CookingPellets.com app to be alerted for great shipping rates. Good folks over at CookingPellets.com. All right, Meathead, uh, we are talking about beef roasts, and uh, we've perhaps peeled off the... uh, the, the cap, and maybe we're just messing around with the tenderloin part. So, where are we going from here? All right. Well, just just to be precise, yeah, not the tenderloin. Tenderloin the, is a separate muscle. The eye. The, the, uh, uh, that's the loin. The loin, yes. Loin and tenderloin are different muscles. Correct. And I I know you know this, uh, but it's easy a mistake. A lot of people make it. The tenderloin lies inside the rib bones. The loin lies outside the rib bones, and the tenderloin has very little marbling. Usually, it's the tenderest meat on the animal. Um, but I, it's not my favorite. I mean, it's it's very very popular. I just don't think it has the flavor of the ribeye, which has more marbling and more fat, therefore, and more flavor. But what we've done here, I noticed that Dawson commented on this is we've made this prime rib now by the butchering process. We've made it into something like a tenderloin in that we've got very little fat on the outside and we removed that rib cap and saved it later. And he suggests a roulade, which is to roll it up. And you can even put a a seasoning or a, a stuffing inside, which is nice. There's a potential issue because if the outside of the rib cap has been contaminated, and you roll it up, and you only cook it to 130, you possibly have a minor contamination risk. Not if you do sous vide with it, but um, I just want to grill a hot and fast, um, flat, and like I might a uh, flank steak, and then there's no risk of contamination. Sure. But um, uh, I'm noticing Anna Lee is in your audience. I don't know her, Anna Lee Kelso. It's a, it's but a, she a, says that they meathead, sell meathead. rib cap. It, it's a Nella. I'm guessing she's a meat purveyor. She yeah, she's with Snake River Farms. It's a Nella Kelso. Oh my God, Snake River Farms. Anella. Yes, yes. <laughs> Everybody loves Snake River Farms. Of course. Um, I have bought. In fact, I have bought um, several um, Christmas roasts from them. Okay, so. Uh, they sell the rib cap, and I know that. I've seen it in their catalog, um, and uh, that's very cool because um, it's a really nice muscle. 
Okay, what's the next slide? All right, I'll show you. Oh, yeah, this is the it's a roasting you know, pan. You've heard me, maybe you've heard me rail against these things. They're really expensive. That's a Calphalon roasting pan. Yes. And I just hate these things for beef roast, for um, pork roast, for turkeys. What happens is, um, let's see the next one, the illustration. There it is. That's what it looks like on the left side. So you've got the roast sitting on this V-shaped rack, sitting in this pan. And it's usually above water or vegetables. You put vegetables. Right. But there's something cool underneath. So even though it may be hot up top, underneath it could be 75 or 100 degrees cooler. So it's going to cook faster on the top than it is on the bottom. Now, you can mediate this by rotating it. But what I would rather you do, and if you're cooking it on a grill or on a smoker, there's no problem whatsoever yeah. because you lift it up. If you're cooking it indoors, you can put it on the top rack and then just put your drip pan down on the second or third rack, spread some foil underneath to catch any spatters. But um, this is the way to get it cooked more evenly is get it out of the roasting pan. These roasting pans... Um, that's why your Thanksgiving turkey is pale and flabby underneath. Um, get it the heck up out of the roasting pan, like in the third picture, and you're going to get even heat all around. And now we've made this round tube, so we'll cook it round. We're going to cook it evenly on all sides. Okay, next slide. Um, and the next thing is is your temperature. Um, there's a whole lot of recipes that tell you to start out at a high temperature. 450, 500 to sear the exterior and then turn it down and cook it at 300, 325. I don't think I need to spend any time talking about the benefits of reverse sear here. We know that if you cook low and slow, you're gently, the, the meat is resistant to heat traveling through it. It's 20% water. Heat doesn't travel through the water at the same rate it does through air. If you pound the outside of the meat, with high temperature, it loads up the outside of the meat with energy, and then it takes its sweet time working its way down to the center. And what happens is the outside of the meat works like a capacitor. It builds up energy, and it, that's how you get that inch layer of gray. What we're trying to avoid is the roast that is dark brown on the outside. We love that. Then we have brown underneath, then tan, then pink, and finally in the middle, 130, 35 degrees, right. medium rare, gorgeous. What we want is medium rare to medium all throughout. And the only way you can get there is low and slow, easy temp. You either turn it down to 225 and you roast it at a low temperature and sear it at the end of the cook, either right over a hot flame or under the broiler or in a hot pan, and you've got you're even cooking. So I want you to cook at uh, low temp and you're going to get more even color. Okay. All right. Next slide. Now here's another thing. A lot of recipes talk about how long you, how long you cook. It depends on how much it weighs. Right. Now a typical full beef tenderloin, a full beef loin, excuse me, prime rib is seven bones. And um, 
if you cut it in half and cook them separately, each half will take almost identically the same amount of time as the whole one. Because, and, and this is such a basic concept, but a lot of people don't get it. The hot air cooks the outside of the meat. The outside of the meat cooks the inside of the meat. Right. And so a 10-inch long, 4-inch thick beef roast will take the same amount of time to cook as an 8-inch long or a 5-inch long. Now, if you go down to 3-inch long, you'll notice it's 4-inch thick. So the narrowest diameter is now 3 inches. That will cook faster. But the other three, the top three, will cook in the same amount of time. And so when you when you read recipes that say um, uh, cook it for X number of minutes per pound, yeah. that can be really misleading. Now, if you're talking about a turkey or a pork butt, maybe there's some sense to it because it tends to be proportional as it gets bigger. But it's not always. And this is a classic example. You take a seven-bone roast, cut it in a half, and each half is going to take the same amount of time as the full seven-bone roast. So the so the, uh, thickness, the, delinea yeah, the delineator is how long it is. As long as, as long as the thickness is the same, the delineator is going to be at three inches or less. Well, no, the delineator is how thick it is. If it's all the same thickness, it cooks at the same rate. The answer is, is you cook with a thermometer, not a clock. Yeah, right. When the recipe says X number of minutes per pound, run. Meathead. And I just, I was just, where did I just, I just read a recipe from a website that's really well known, really popular, really smart, and they did the same thing. And newspapers, I mean, when are they going to start telling people to use thermometers? Um, you know, it's just absolutely maddening. Oh, oh, um, go to AmazingRibs.com, find our thermometer page, and look at the new smoke fireboard. Fireboard, fireboard is okay. Called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. New. It's about the meter is about the size of a pack of cigarettes. It takes six probes, thermocouples, not thermistors. And they're submersible. You can wash them, and they won't short out like the Mavericks do. Um, we've, we've, we've begun testing it. They say it's good down to 32. I've taken it well down under 10 degrees. So have others on my team. Um, it's um, pretty impressive. And the best thing is, is it sends the data to your smartphone and your computer. It's Wi-Fi connected right out of the box and Bluetooth connected right out of the box. And if you lose your Wi-Fi connection, it'll remember all this. It charts it, and you can export the data to an Excel table, to CSV files. I mean, the charts are really nice. Um, and, when, and when you look at a graph of how your cook went, you really learn something about your cook. Um, and it's a great way to debunk the old, if you're looking, you ain't cooking law. Because, you know, when you're watching the meat go up, 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 and you lift the lid, and the air temp dives, but the meat temp doesn't, there's, there goes the old myth. Um, so uh, this is a really great new tool. It's not cheap. It's $189. We gave one away uh, last week. You what? I've already had the guy on the show. Oh, oh, Of course, oh. Ted Conrad. Yeah. No, Ted he's Conrad, yeah. good buddy. Yeah. 
Yeah, he boy, he called me up when he was still in design phase, and I and I've been thinking to myself, oh, he's got a pretty ambitious idea. I don't know if it's going to happen. Happen. <laughs> it's a nice product. There you go. All right, and uh, we've tested it. Don't forget, I have a, a electrical engineer, Bill McGrath, who tests thermometers. He's got special equipment, checks the accuracy of the reading, checks how fast it takes to measure. Um, so uh, our numbers verify their, their their numbers. And in fact, our numbers show that it will cook at a much lower temp than they rate it at. Wow. So, All right. Uh, nice. We got about three minutes left, so give me some finishing uh, thoughts here on beef roast. All right. Well, let's see. We got any more slides left? No. Oh, well, that's then a nice crust. Um, you can use whatever you want. I don't, you know, I, a couple of folks in the um, chat room were talking about smoking it. A little smoke is nice. I just am not a huge fan of a lot of smoke on a beef roast. Um, I love it on, um, uh, you know, brisket and the ribs and stuff. A little smoke, not too much for me. That's just my taste. I like herbs. I have a rub uh, that I call uh, Mrs. O'Leary's rub. It's a blend of herbs and spices. It seems to work pretty well. Um, you want to get uh, plenty of salt on the exterior the night before because salt will penetrate. All the other stuff will not. Um, get that salt on early. Um, and um, if you want to have some fun, you can take the ribs and the fat and make a beef stock, throw in some onions, carrots, celery, and that's your gravy. Uh, fantastic. Um, you want to play sous vide games? Throw it in a sous vide bag, cook it for about 12 hours, then throw it on a grill. Let me ask yeah. you something. Um, if you had a really big prime rib and you were going to sous vide, let's say mm -hmm. to 130 degrees, is is there an issue of long-term, under one, above 40, under 140 contamination, ickiness type of an issue? No, that's one of the beauties of sous vide. All right. Is, is the bugs, uh, as near as we know, Bugs start dying at around 130. Well, that's medium rare. So if you peg it for 130 to 135, 135 is a very nice temperature for a beef roast, um, uh, you'll start killing bugs, but it takes a long time. So 6, 8, 12 hours in a sous vide bag, you're killing bugs and you're tenderizing. You do lose some water. That bag does get some water in it, but that's a basis of a really good stock or a really good... Um, gravy um you end up really tender and then you pull it out and throw it on a searing hot grill i mean a hibachi works yeah get as close to the charcoal as you can um or in a hot pan um and then you can throw some smoke on it and it doesn't take much 10 15 minutes of smoke and you've got a really elegant flavor you can find meathead goldwood at AmazingRibs.com, all the information is being jam-packed there. He's got the Pitmasters Club as well that you can join for like 24 bucks a year. It's great. It's fun and fantastic. Uh, Meathead, as always, I appreciate and, it. Yes, Ant. And, and we get a weekly podcast from... That's right. Me. Some guy in Cleveland. It's me. Yeah. I do it. You. Yeah. He does a... I don't know if you haven't ever heard his weekly newscast. It's really cool. It's fun. It's very different than this show. It, fast paced, a lot of news, um, and he does one weekly for the uh, Pitmaster Club. Uh, it's pretty popular. Thank nice you. work. All right. Uh, so, uh, like I say each and every month, well, I only say it December going into January. Uh, Merry Christmas, <laughs> uh, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year, all happy the good holidays, stuff. Everybody. Happy holidays, and uh, we will talk to you in the new year, Meathead. 
I can't wait. Um, Greg, this is always, you know, I don't know how many years we've been talking, but this is always fun. Your audience is the best. Happy holidays to everyone, and we'll see you in 2017. Here we go. Headlong into 2017, if you can believe it. 2016, as I've said before, rapidly coming to a close. And I don't think anybody can deny it now. 2016, rapidly coming to a close. All right, we got to uh, try and beat feet to get to where we need to go. But let me talk to you about the pit barrel cooker. Meathead talked about it in uh, this past segment. Gang, pulling the trigger on a new cooker can be nerve-wracking. Temperature control, fire management, what woods to buy, who needs the hassle. But I strongly suggest the pit barrel cooker. The pit barrel makes cooking simple and fun, and it just might be the most unique, versatile, and easy-to-use cooker on the market today. Imagine a single vessel. That will turn out great traditional barbecue meats like brisket, pork shoulder, and ribs. While also... Is there something going on? While also being able to turn out the high temperature stuff like burgers, chicken wings, and dogs. Versatility is a revolutionary design that goes beyond traditional convection. Their hook and hang method places the food in the center of the heat, so it's acting like a stationary rotisserie. The result, great-tasting, perfectly cooked meat each and every time. Not only is the pit barrel a fabulous cooking unit, it's aesthetically sexy as well. It's not only built to withstand heat, but thanks to its porcelain enamel finish, can withstand any type of weather. It's also extremely portable. It fits in the back of most vans, trucks, and SUVs, ready to go wherever you are. It's got all the accessories you want. The brand-new, perfectly fitted, fitted charcoal chimney for the pit barrel cooker. You have the pit grips, removable ash pan, turkey hangers, hinged grill grates, full line of accessories. They got new koozies coming up that look like little mini little pit barrels. Best part for $299, the pit barrel comes fully assembled, ready to cook on, ships for free. Not only does the cooker ship for free, but with so few returns, everything else ships free to the lower 48 continental states each and every day. No pro mode, no coupon code needed. Don't take my word for it. Ask the other guy, Meathead Goldwood from AmazingRibs.com. Head on over to PitBarrelCooker.com, see what everybody's talking about. Be sure to check out their full collection of short how-to videos. Then pick up one or two for yourself. You'll thank me later, trust me. Very easy to use. My next-door neighbor, Desmond, we'll call him Desmond. That's his, on my whole deck of cookers, that is his favorite cooker, hands down. Loves the, loves the hook and hang. Loves the ribs, does the brisket, does the whole deal. If you have any questions, call them. 502-228-1222. 502-228-1222. And yes, they will actually pick up the phone, talk to you, counsel you, give you advice, all the good stuff. Find out what great customer service is all about when you head on over to pitbarrelcooker.com. We're back to wrap the first hour right after this. Stick around. Be right back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show.
All right, thanks again to Meathead Goldwyn for joining me the past two segments. Beef roast. I hate when you get the cap locks on and... Ugh. Anella Kelso, hope... I'm sorry. Anna Lee Kelso, hopefully your Meathead Goldwyn official consultation gives you the confidence that you are desiring for your prime rib cook in the sous vide. I got to tell you, man, two years ago, sous vide was coming up, kind of making a name for itself, and I was like, flash in the pan. Guess what? Full-blown hysteria over sous vide. In all forms of cooking, by the way, especially in the barbecue and grilling world. I'm surprised it has really taken off like this, to be honest. I'm very happy that I'm going to be talking about this sous vide stuff with Kenji Lopez-Alt. Meathead says he's a witty character. So we should have some fun banter back and forth in the second hour. Uh, Top of next hour, the giveaway. Athlete, porn star, blues hog giveaway, $65 retail. Dial in now. 216-220-0966. Stick around. We'll be right back. Athlete, porn star, next. And this is Jennifer. And we're from Cleveland, Ohio. And you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Hit me. Fine. How's it going? (laughs) (laughs) We have a great show. I'm a big fan. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish! What? We ate two feet before we nursed. Oh listen, Laverty, it's a shit feast. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seed. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Top men. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. Boom. Yeah. This is the Barbecue Central Show, and you have found it here, a show that talks weekly about the fun, sport, frivolity of barbecue and grilling. We broadcast right here from Cleveland, Ohio. Happy to have you aboard here. 216-220-0966 is the... uh, Number to call, and you can email greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Uh, we're in the midst of porn star or athlete. You want to jump in? Let's do this. 216 220 0966. I'm going to give you a name. You tell me if it's a porn star or if it's an athlete. If you can get three out of five, you get to win this spectacular. Blues Hog Gift Pack Giveaway. One jar each. Blues Hog Original Sauce. Tennessee Red Sauce. Smoky Mountain Sauce. Honey Mustard Sauce. 
and a jar of their Blues Hog Dry Rub Seasoning. Notwithstanding that, you also get a bag of the Blues Hog Premium Natural Hardwood Lump Charcoal coming in convenient 17 and one half pound bags. That's right. That's right. $65 value. I'm sure there will be shipping on that as well. So let's just round it up to a straight hundred bucks. How about that? So let's get the game ready. Of course, we're all very excited that we're going to be playing Porn Star or Emily. All right, uh, we it's go Jam to Rockin'. area code four zero seven. Name and where you're calling from. It's Matt from Orlando. Matt from Orlando. All right, Matt. How are you tonight? Oh, pretty good so far. Cooking fudge for the wife's uh, Christmas party tomorrow. All right. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt? Um, I'm a horrible barbecue uh, competition chef. Doesn't do very well, but loves to drink beer. All right. Very good. That's Matt, everybody. All right. You ready to play the game, Matt? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Let me uh, get my board up here. All right, and I'm going to ask you names. You tell me porn star or athlete. Very easy to do. Three out of five gets you the Blues Hog Pack. And the first name for Matt in Orlando, one of the happiest places on earth, is Faith Leon. Is Faith Leon an athlete or porn star? Porn star. All right. By the way, Matt, definitively saying Faith Leon is a porn star. It's potentially troubling. Uh, We go to the answer board. Faith Leon is porn star. It's you. Big fan, Matt. Big fan. I, I, I feel bad about uh, guessing that one right. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. As I said, uh, the blessing of winning is also a curse for obvious reasons. Here we go. Next name for uh, Matt. <laughs> Olivia Wilder. Athlete or porn star? Athlete. Oh, jeez. We'll lock you in on athlete. Olivia Wilder is porn star. That's all right. We keep going. We got one on the plus side. We got one on the minus side for Matt in Orlando trying to win the Blues Hog prize pack. A lot of sauce. There's a rub. There's charcoal. You ever use their charcoal, Matt? Not the charcoal. I've used the sauce and the rubs, though. You like that? Oh, the sauce and rubs are awesome. All right. Very good. All right. Here we go. Next name for Matt. Karen Cockburn. Karen Cockburn. Athlete or porn star? Athlete. All right. Lock him in on athlete. Karen Cockburn making her name. Athlete. All right. Karen Cockburn is a trampolinist, Matt. Did you know that? All right, Matt. 
don't want to bring up the suspense too much, but one more gets you the Blues Hog prize pack. So I have to ask, are you excited? I'm ready for it. Okay. Here we go. Tell me, Matt, is Oliver Buff an athlete or a porn star? Porn star. All right. Locking Matt in on porn star, Oliver Buff. Indeed. Athlete. Uh oh. It's all right. It's all coming down to this, Matt. From Orlando, trying to win the Blues Hog. A flair for the dramatic, does Matt have? And he's got to get this one right. All right. Tell me, Matt. Is Justin Long an athlete or porn star? Howie Long's the father. They name his son Justin. But Justin Long is such a porn star name. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear I'm, Lord. I'm, I'm going to have to go porn star because that just sounds so bad. All right. Final answer? Final answer. All right, Matt. Holding out hope that Justin Long is not Howie Long's son. All right, he's done it, ladies and gentlemen. Matt has done it. Oh, my goodness. Look at this guy. Well, Matt, you have uh, absolutely done it. You know your porn stars and athletes somewhat. Somewhat. So here's what you do. You Thank send me you. Your, I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed to say that I got that right. That's all right. No, don't be embarrassed. Uh, win, winning yields all wounds. No problem. So send me your shipping info. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com, and I will forward that on to the folks at Blues Hog, and you will have your pack shortly. Thank you, Greg. Thank uh, you much. Thank you for calling in. There he is. It's Matt from Orlando. And from everybody here at Athlete of Porn Star, we bid you adieu. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to. Uh, Terry and Tim Shear over at uh, Blues Hog for donating the prize pack. Once again, uh, A, the website blueshog.com. If you've never been there, check it out. That's blueshog.com. And he's getting the Blues Hog Original Tennessee Red, Smoky Mountain, and Honey Mustard all in the 16-ounce ball-style jar. And he's also getting a 5.5-ounce Blues Hog Dry Rub Seasoning. And the Blues Hog Premium Natural Hardwood Lump Charcoal coming in a convenient 17 and one half pound bag. Good for him. Blueshog.com again. Tim and Terry Shear. How about that? I love it when we get right down to the very end. And it's like, uh-oh, are we going to do it? Uh-oh. I don't know. I don't want to have wasted all that time and not know the difference between my porn stars and athletes. That's foolish. Did anybody see, by the way, I meant to, we, we, we shortly delved into a horse meat talk with Meathead and then that went into something and then we finally got into the beef roast talk. 
But we were gonna. I was gonna talk to Meathead about what it was like to do the uh, Harry Connick Jr. show because he was Meathead has done a lot of TV. I don't know if you guys have really kept up with Meathead or not, but he has really been on quite the run of TV shows. He's been on Rachel Ray. He's been on Harry Connick Jr. The list is lengthening. I think that's safe to say. But I love to know the inner workings. Like, how long did that actually take? Was it one take? What got cut? Did anything get cut? Did anything get put back in? Did you have to reshoot? There was an especially touching time when Meathead was scratching and tickling the back of Harry Connick Jr. I mean, he is a good-looking guy. Meathead, I mean, not Harry Connick Jr. All right, folks, let me talk to you quickly about Cook Shack. They manufacture smoker ovens for barbecue lovers with any amount of experience. That's right. Whether you barbecue in your backyard, in the competition circuit, or in a five-star dining facility, Cook Shack has the unit that will do the job, and with a full line of barbecue sauces, spices, pellets, and wood chunks, it is the perfect one-stop shop. Cook Shack strives to be your barbecue resource center by offering cooking classes, online recipes, how-to videos, two blogs, Smoking Grilling 101s and a video cooking classroom. Check out their website at cookshack.com or follow them on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+. Get advice or share your passion for barbecue on their world-class barbecue forum. Cookshack pellet-fired smokers are the choice of champions because they were designed by a champion. Ed Fast Eddie Morin, the FEC 100, PG 1000, always customer favorites. The PG-1000 can double as a smoker and grill. Low and slow, hot and fast, the pellet grill line gives you the most for your money. Cook Shack Residential Electric Smokers are the number one smoker in the industry. High quality means high durability and versatility. Anything you can cook in your oven, you can make in a Cook Shack. Passion, dedication, drives. Cook Shack's manufacturing with quality always being at the forefront. Get the best in barbecue since 1962. And call 800-423-0698. That's 800-423-0698. Or visit the website cookshack.com. Oh, boy. I'm ready. Are you ready? Kenji Lopez-Alt coming up out of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Oh, boy. Live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. 
All right, we are back. Sorry about that. Got to get it right. All right, my first guest of the second hour. Uh, if you're a foodie, really needs no introduction, especially if you are just a foodie in general. He's a New York Times bestselling author, a James Beard-nominated columnist, the creator of the Food Lab, and the managing director of Serious Eats. Let's race to the hotline and welcome in first-timer to the show, and hopefully not last-timer, but that's on me. Kenji Lopez. Kenji, how are you, buddy? Kenji. Hello. Kenji. Easy now. Easy now. No, Everybody be cool. Everybody be cool. Hopefully he didn't think I meant 10-14 his time. Uh-oh. I'm sure he did. We're good. We're good. Here we go. Try again. This time we'll go right. I have to- reached the voicemail box of 650-274-2254. Damn it. Kenji. Hey, how's it going? Hello! We've connected. We've done it. <laughs> yes, finally. My goodness. Well, uh, through uh, no, well, through all fault of my own, uh, we are certainly here together. And wow, I mean, what a pleasure to have you on the horn with me here this evening. And uh, through brilliant talk-ups by in common friend Meathead Goldwyn, it's been... Uh, a pleasure to kind of track you down here and get you locked in for a couple segments here tonight. So I guess, you know, before we delve into some topics and debate and all that fun stuff, uh, for the folks that don't know you, uh, a little background about yourself and kind of how you started in the beginning and where you've ramped up. Uh, yeah. You you want me to say all that? Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt. Uh, I'm the Managing Culinary Director of SeriousEats.com and the author of The Food Lab. Um, which is a column on Serious Eats, um, as well as a book that came out last year. Um, and the, the whole concept of the food lab is that, uh, well, I, I, I use science uh, to uh, try and explain sort of the ins and outs of home cooking um, with the idea that uh, once you understand the science behind cooking, it sort of empowers you to become a better cook in the kitchen. Um, you know, it's sort of like, um, you know, it's demystifying the magic of cooking and, and, and putting you in control of what, of what uh, goes into the pan and what comes out. Um, and um, I, I think that, you know, the, the more you know about uh, how cooking works, uh, the more personal um, cooking can be and the more you can control the outcome uh, to suit your own tastes. Kenji, um, so that, that's basically what I do. Kenji, from a background standpoint, uh, growing up, were you somebody that was surrounded by a family that loved to cook? Everybody gathers around the kitchen and you know, you just kind of pick up and run with this, or does your love of food and then the, the science grow uh, no. with you later? It was the other way around. Yeah. Uh, I was surrounded by a family that loved science. Um, science and math uh, were sort of the things that we loved the most. You know, I grew up watching Mr. Wizard. Um, MacGyver was my favorite TV show. Yeah. Um, my father was a scientist. My grandfather was a scientist. Um, so I, I grew up with science. And then um, the cooking actually didn't come until much, much later, until, um, until college. Um, I was actually... There, there was a summer, the summer after my sophomore year in college, I was looking for a non-academic job just because I'd spent a couple summers working in biology labs and I wanted to find something that was, uh, I wanted to basically spend the summer doing something non-academic, just take a break from it because um, I wasn't sure that I wanted to continue with biology. Um, and <coughs> excuse me, getting over a little cold here, but um, 
I, I went around looking actually for a job as a waiter because I thought that would be a fun summer job. Um, one of the restaurants I walked into, uh, they asked if I, uh, well, they said they had a prep cook who didn't show up that morning that if I could hold the knife and I could work that afternoon that I could have a job as a cook for the summer. Um, so, uh, so I said, okay. And I did it. And, um, and it turned out that I loved, I mean, basically everything about working in restaurant kitchens. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't into food at all at that point. Um, you know, I was one of those people who would go to a restaurant and look at the menu and see, all right, well, this has fish. I don't want that. This has, uh, this has cabbage in it. I don't want that. And, you know, I would just go down the list and basically end up ordering like the steak every time. Just, you know, one of those boring people who couldn't, couldn't order anything because I was not really interested in food. Um, so my love of cooking um, is actually what got me into enjoying food. Um, it, it wasn't, it was really after I started cooking and, and thinking to myself, you know, what, it's actually like really cool what's going on. Um, you know, cooking is, is a really fascinating thing. There's a lot of science in it. There's a lot of questions to be answered. Um, and that's really sort of what got me interested in food in the first place. Um, and so from there, I basically continued, you know, I, I worked part-time in restaurants all through the rest of college and then full-time in restaurants for uh, about five years. Um, and then from there went on to um, move on to the recipe development side, working uh, um, I worked at Cook's Illustrated Magazine for a while, um, and then from there to Serious Eats. Kenji Lopez, all joining me here on the show, SeriousEats.com, also uh, Food Lab off that as well. Um, Kenji, do you think, you know, from a, just from a high-level sense in the food, and I know from uh, any number of conversations with Meathead Goldwyn, uh, and we love to talk about wine, we have great passion for wine between us, do you think that there mm-hmm. was any type of snobbery or secrecy in the food world and the food lab, in essence, uh, is its own bridge to help, as you said, demystify or desecretize, which probably yeah. isn't a word, um, food. So people feel a little bit more comfortable being able to take the reins, get in the kitchen, and do something for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is absolutely snobbery in the world of food um, in, in many different ways. You know, there, there, there is snobbery in terms, of, um, in terms of individual dishes saying, you know, this dish has to be made this certain way or oh, I can't believe you're eating American cheese. You know, there, there's that kind of snobbery, like sort of ingredients and dish snobbery. But then, then there's also, um, I think, sort of um, this sort of chef-y snobbery where unless you're cooking food um, at a, you know, at a restaurant level and unless you're plating it in this fancy way that it's not worth eating. Um, and, and yeah, def- definitely, I mean, all of Serious Eats, we, we try um, to really sort of make cooking, a, you know, democratize it. We want to, we want to make sure that um, you know, whether we're talking, the thing we always say is that whether we're talking about a hot dog or um, whether we're reviewing a hot dog or like a $45 plate uh, fancy restaurant, we want to treat it with the same level of seriousness um, and, you know, and, and make it understood that, you know, it's okay to like hot dogs because hot dogs are a food that people love. It's a food that takes skill. You know, there's, it, there's good hot dogs, there's bad hot dogs. Um, so analyzing a hot dog um, is, you know, I think just as important, if not even more important than analyzing like the, the food at a really fancy restaurant because it, it becomes enjoyable to more people. So that, that's always something that I personally strive for as well in, um, in the food lab is to make sure that um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm writing something that people, that everyday people are actually going to use and actually going to cook. You know, um, there, there's books like, um, like modernist cuisine. You know, when, when I say I write about food science, people often ask me, um, Oh, is that sort of like modernist? Is that, is that, you know, molecular astronomy? Is it that kind of stuff? Um, and, uh, well, the answer is no, it's not really that, you know, that is a certain type of food science and science-based cooking. Um, but you look at, you know, a book like Modernist Cuisine and it's really aimed at chefs and it costs, 
it costs six hundred fifty dollars, um, and it's just a very particular type of food that is not what people are doing every day. Um, so what I try and do is sort of the, the flip side of that coin um, is using the same rig- same sort of scientific rigor and same sort of understanding of how food works, uh, but really trying to apply it to the things people eat every day. You know, um, macaroni and cheese and hamburgers and 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 chicken breasts and you know the the, the foods that that we all cook all the time. Um, because I think that I think that's really the best way to connect with the most number of people um, and to and to really you know have I hope have a positive effect on the most um, on the most number of lives. Is that kind of the the goal and the vision of Serious Eats as well? Um, yeah, you know the goal the goal and vision of Serious Eats is really to to help people um, eat better, um, whether it's to find better food um, in restaurants or to cook better at home. But you know, for me, it's really it, when, what the best compliment I can get um, is when somebody tells me that they cooked a recipe I made and, it, and, you know, and it, their entire family enjoyed it. And now they're going to be making it on a regular basis. Like to me, that, that is really the goal is to make sure that, um, you know, I, I want to introduce new things to people's lives. I want to, I want people to get excited about cooking. Um, and I want people to feed their friends and friends and family, um, and, you know, and enjoy each other's company over a good meal. Um, so that, that's, that's really the goal is just to, you know, to get people excited about cooking and to make people happy with it. Um, the results that are coming out of their kitchen. From an operational level at SeriousEats.com, how many people are actively taking part in it, uh, working it? Is it all freelance stuff? Like, how do the the operations work for that? Um, no, it's actually almost a hundred percent through st- um, staff, um, uh, full time staff um, contributing articles. Um, we we do a couple of freelance. Uh, we have a couple of freelancers who who contribute maybe uh, regularly, you know, once a week. Um, but mostly it's uh, it's all in house that we're producing content. Um, we have uh, three full time food editors. So that's myself. Uh, Daniel Gritzer and Stella Parks, who is our new pastry person. Um, and so we develop most of the recipes. Uh, and then we have a couple of other um, editors. Um, uh, and then, you know, and then we have a, a design team and a, and a ad sales team and some management. So all, all in all, it's about, um, I think right now we're at like 13 or 14 people total. Um, and, and our parent company is a, it's a company called Sexy based Seattle. Um, and, uh, they, they, uh, you know, also help provide some sort of upper level management. Um, but, but the content on the site is mainly comes down to about four to five editors. From a unique standpoint and a metric standpoint, what kind of traffic does Series Seats see on a regular basis, month to month? Uh, well, it's, you know, it varies throughout the year right now, you know, November is by far our busiest month followed, followed by December. Um, I think in November we got off the top of my head, I think it's something like 16 million, uh, uniques. Um, it, you know, it goes down, it goes down in January, but I, I'd say on average we're probably at like 13 or 14 million, something like that. Wow. That's huge. Uh, Kenji Lopez, all seats.com joining me here on the show. All right. So let's go ahead and, uh, answer this question, or at least give me your take on this question. You know, for, I had one of my most masterful debates with Meathead Goldwyn about, is there a difference between barbecue and grilling? And in the beginning, uh, when we first started having (laughs) this conversation, I was very barbecue is X and grilling is Uh Y, and the terms Uh are not interchangeable. They are completely divergent because they're two different ways of cooking. Now, over time, right. and he made his argument of barbecue is the big umbrella and everything's kind of falling underneath it. But over time, I've mm-hmm. said, well, why don't we throw out the term live fire cooking and everything can kind of be lumped into that? 
But today, uh-huh. if I'm asking pit masters or grill masters, some people see it my way. Other people still see it as separate entities. Uh, from Serious Eats' point of view and from the Food Lab point of view, Kenji, what do you think about mm-hmm. barbecue and grilling? Well, <laughs> it's a pretty loaded question. Um, it yes. really depends where you are. I can tell you that the vast majority of people in the world will say barbecue is anytime you're cooking over a live fire. Like you're, you're putting hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill out back, that is, you're, you're going to have a barbecue. And, and that, that's most people in the world. Um, but if you go to the American South, um, it's very different, right? Bar- I mean, barbecue is low and slow, um, low and slow cooking uh, with smoke. Um, whereas grilling is everything else. Um, I personally, I, I tend to use that definition. I, I tend to use the barbecue is low and slow. Um, but I have no problem when someone says like, you know, I, it's really context dependent. When my, when my friend says we're going to have a barbecue um, next Saturday, um, I expect that we're probably going to be having like chicken and burgers and hot dogs. I wouldn't expect them. Uh, I wouldn't expect them to mean we're going to sit there and smoke, smoke a pork shoulder for, for 12 hours. Um, but you know, but if, uh, if my cousin from Tennessee says we're having barbecue at the wedding, um, then I would expect there to be, uh, you know, a whole hog probably. Um, so I think it really, it really depends on who's saying it and who you're talking to. You know, it's, it's like any language, you know, it's, 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 it, it, the, the point of language is to, uh, is to communicate with people and to convey ideas to people. So, um, you know, if some set of people believe the word means one thing and another set of people believe the word means something else, then I think you really have to pay attention to that context. Um, when you're using those words, um, but, you know, the same way that I don't use the same language with um, um, w- when I'm talking to you on the phone as, as I do when I'm talking to my mother or when I'm talking to my wife. You know, it, um, I think language changes a little bit depending on the context. Um, I think, you know, the one the one thing that I really don't like and that I find to be actually very snobby is the you know, is when people um, when people refuse to accept that various context. Um, and usually you see this from. Um, from the barbecue is, is this very narrow thing side. You know, people will say, someone might say, oh, I'm having a barbecue this weekend. And then some barbecue snob will be like, oh, that's not barbecue. And it's like, what, you know, what's the point of telling them that? Like, you know, they, they, I'm sure they're aware that barbecue is this specific thing and all you're doing is being pedantic. Um, you know, because even the original, you know, barbecue did not always mean um, what the, uh, some very small subset of um, the population in the U.S. South thinks it means, you know, it, it it, it started off as a much broader thing, and now it's this much more specific thing. It's not. It's not like when the term was invented, um, uh, you know, brisket existed, or or um, or you know, barbecue ribs existed. You know, it was it was the original barbecue was yeah. You, I mean, maybe there was a pit, but more likely it was just an open fire, um, and you're slow you're slow cooking meats on top of it. But it's still it's still relatively different from what most people would consider barbecue today. So in in many ways, I think the term barbecue is sort of usurped. Um, by this this group of people who claim who claims this very narrow definition, so I try I try not to be um, that strict um, in my definition of it. But you know, like I said, I think it really depends who you're talking to. I, I do think that there's a, a an odd uh, delineation just in the term barbecue. I think people wanna if they wanna snob out on you, they will say, oh well, barbecue is barbacoa, and it was you know down in South America or you know whatever. I think what we talk about right. here on this show, uh, what I would refer to as Southern style barbecue here in the states, right. not you know trying to trace it back to where man got from four feet to two feet. Um, so that being said, with somebody who has a website that sees substantial traffic, do you see certain times of the year where requests or searches for barbecue on serious eats spikes up more than it does at other points of the year? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, summer, summer is barbecue season for us. Um, I think probably for most people, um, 
<laughs> barbecue and grilling um, content always always good. Part. I mean, I can tell you during this, and, and you're probably going to say this is not barbecue, um, which by some definitions is not. But during uh, during the summer, um, I can guarantee you that every single day at at 3 p.m. Um, the post with the most number of people reading it at any given uh, you know at, on any given day during the summer is um, our recipe for. Uh, our, our post on how to grill boneless, skinless chicken breasts every single day during the summer. That is the most popular post of the day. Um, and, and, you know, and then, and then, it, and then it gets followed by whatever, you know, by more sort of real barbecue type stuff. But, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely summer is barbecue season for us. Would you say you've been able to track a progression or a growth in popularity of just the, the high level topic of barbecue and grilling over the past seven or eight years have you seen it more on tv and more books being written about it and so forth yeah yeah i mean more on tv um you also you know i, I lived in I, I live in california now but i lived in new york up until two years ago um and i can tell you that the difference between the barbecue scene in new york seven years ago and and two years ago um is you know night and day like um barbecue in new york was not very good um from for a long long time um but now you know now there's some really great places um a lot of a lot of sort of Texas style barbecue is, is making its way there. I think largely because of, of you know the popularity of Franklin and, and the book and all that stuff. Um, um, but but yeah, definitely. I think and I and I think a lot more people outside of the South know what barbecue is as well. Uh, you know, just just yesterday um, I was on Twitter and somebody um, was messaging me about barbecue um, and I looked up where they were and they were, um, it was it was some guy in, in uh, who, who runs some barbecue club in Northern England. Um, and you know, I, I, I spent a, a good deal of time in Northern England for a while. And when I was there, barbecue was grilled hamburgers. That's what people called barbecue. Um, but this guy was, you know, this guy was doing real, um, low and slow, uh, Southern style barbecue. Um, and I, and I don't think you would have seen that, you know, five or 10 years ago. Uh, Kenji, can I hold you over for one more segment while I do a quick break here and then we'll uh, get into some yeah, real yeah, topics sure, of debate. Sure. All right, hold on one sec. Uh, we're talking with Kenji Lopez all from the Food Lab uh, and Serious Eats, SeriousEats.com, the website. We'll be back with him here in just a second. And I'm going to talk to you about Big Papa Smokers. Folks, uh, Big Papa Smokers, the one-stop online shop for anyone interested in barbecue, featuring a comprehensive selection of American-made grill spices, sauces, accessories, even a kit that gives you everything you need to make a world-class smoker out of a 55-gallon drum. Big Papa's has made a name for itself in recent years by winning award-winning championships with their rubs. They pretty much won it all. Jack Daniels, American Royals, Kings of the Smokers, you name it, they've won it. BPS also banded together with fellow California-based rub company Simply Marvelous Barbecue to form what has now become known as the West Coast Offense. Defying conventional wisdom, these two California-based rub makers have cornered the market on competitive barbecue and begun to redefine the flavor profile that competitive coaches from across the country have begun to aim for. They've even created two unique competitions, King of the Smoker, which brings the best of the best in barbecue to a head-to-head, back-to-basics competition. King of the Smoker, unique in the fact that contestants can only use those wood-fired or charcoal cookers, no pellet cookers, no pit minders. Contestants just allowed to use their wits to win one of the most high-stake barbecue competitions around. Also, they have the guinea pig cost-controlled competition that helps bring in newcomers to the world of competitive barbecue. Also features prize distribution all the way down to 10th place in each category and helps provide incentive to get new competitors into the barbecue world and keep the veterans, by the way, no attrition here, 
thanks to the guinea pig. On top of all that, Big Papa's has created a unique brand ambassador program called the BPS Elite Team, featuring 15 of the best competition teams of the country working together to promote camaraderie, competition barbecue, and to benefit children's charities across the U.S. Doing it in only six years of being in biz. Doing what? Turning the competition barbecue world on its head. Creating their own unique competitions, becoming a staple of a nationwide restaurant chain, and benefiting children's charities across the U.S. It is still just the beginning for Big Papa Smokers. The website, BigPapaSmokers.com. That's BigPapaSmokers.com. We're back with more Kenji Lopez-Alt in just a few seconds. Stick around. We'll be right back. Get in the smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, welcome back. This portion of the show being brought to you by Unknown Smoker Accessories, purveyors of made-in-the-USA stainless steel barbecue and smoker lid hinges, barbecue accessory hangers, rocket-hot chimney grillers, and heavy-duty aluminum foil dispensers. To find products from Unknown Smoker Accessories, keep your gear where it needs to be. At arm's length and ready for battle, visit unknownbbq.com slash shop today. That's unknownbbq.com slash shop. You promo code REMPE, R-E-M-P-E. For 15% off your entire order. Kenji Lopez-Alt is sticking with me here through the break, which I appreciate. All right, Kenji, so let's talk a little bit. You know, one of the hottest things that I have seen blow up, uh, not to be overly redundant, mm-hmm. is uh, sous vide. And I remember getting a uh, sous vide uh, supreme or whatever. It looks, kind of looks like a big bread box. Uh, maybe right, right, right. three years ago, four years ago, or something like that, and I was like, "Eh, flash in the pan could be a fad." But forget about that. <laughs> I mean, four years later, this thing is blowing up the likes I have never seen a cooking style blow up. Uh, what do you attribute? Right. I mean, you're a big sous vide guy, and we're going to get into that here in a second. Yep. But like, yep. what do you attribute the the popularity of sous vide to? Well, it's it's a it's I think it's you know the most sort of revolutionary and useful cooking methods since, you know, the microwave. Um, you know, it, it, it first started in France in the 70s. It didn't really become popular um, in the U.S. Um, until the early 2000s. Um, that, that was when I was working in restaurants. Um, and right around that time is when restaurants really started using it. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's popular because um, it's, a, it's a new way of cooking, and it's a very um, precise and foolproof um, and, and consistent way of cooking. So, you know, every time you've ever accidentally overcooked a steak or you weren't sure whether your chicken was done, you know, it, it basically eliminates all of those problems um, because it holds, you know, it, it allows you to cook foods to a very, very precise temperature. Um, and more importantly, it allows you to hold them there for um, a long time without losing quality. So, you know, your food is going to be perfectly evenly cooked. Um, it's going to be cooked to the temperature you want it to, um, and it's going to be ready when you are. So, you know, even if your guests are half an hour late or you're, or you're busy pouring cocktails or something, you know, that steak is going to be sitting there um, ready to sear um, until you're ready to eat it. And so, so, you know, in restaurants, that was really useful because it meant that, um, you know, people aren't going to be sending back that steak because it's overcooked. You know, um, it also means you can, you can cook a pork chop uh, that's going to be much juicier because you can cook it to a slight, you know, you can cook it safely and pasteurize it at a lower temperature. Um, the same with chicken, you know. So, so for example, something like chicken, um, if, we're, if we're talking about food safety, a chicken breast, um, the government recommends that you cook it to 165 degrees. Right. Um, and we all know that at that temperature, it's basically 
sawdust. You know, it's, it's really, really dry. Um, but, the, you know, the reason they tell you that is because at 165 degrees, within two seconds, you're going to have a seven log reduction uh, in bacteria. So that means only one out of every 10 million bacteria are going to survive after two seconds at 165 degrees. And that's sort of the government standard uh, for safety. Um, but um, that, that, you know, pasteurization of that kind, it's not just a function of temperature. It's also, it's also a, fu a function of time. So you can get the exact same bacterial reduction um, at a lower temperature if you hold it there, hold it there for a longer time. So at 145 degrees, I believe it's something like seven minutes at 145 degrees, yeah. we'll get you the exact same uh, bacterial reduction. So chicken, a chicken breast cooked at 145 degrees um, and cooked there until it's held at 140, you know, all the way to 145 degrees through to the center, held there for seven minutes is going to be just as safe to eat as chicken that was cooked to 165 degrees, but it's going to be a lot juicier and a lot more tender. Um, and so that, those are the kinds of things that you can really only do with sous vide because uh, traditional cooking methods um, are really not precise enough to do that. And the key, again, is it's not once it hits 145, let's pull it off and let's cram it in our face. It's now let's maintain right. it for X amount of time in order to make sure we get all the nasties off. Exactly. And then, and then you're probably going to take it out of your bat of the CV bag and finish it, you know, either on the grill or in a pan or however you want to do it to, to give some color on the outside, color and texture on the outside, because the you know, sous vide does not, um, does not do that. A, a steak cooked sous vide without finishing it on the grill or in a pan is not going to be pleasant to eat. Um, you need, you need to really grill it or, or sear it in a pan to give it, um, you know, trigger the Maillard reaction, get some texture on there. Um, the, the other thing that sous vide allows you to do is that it, um, it allows you to um, uh, cook tough meats, um, so something like a pork shoulder or a beef chuck or a beef brisket. Um, let's you cook them at temperatures that are even lower than you would typically aim for in, um, you know, in low and slow barbecue, and hold them there for for a much longer time. And the result is that you get things that are um, extremely tender, uh, but you don't uh, push out as much moisture. So you so you can get uh, textures that, that aren't really achievable through sort of more more traditional methods. Um, so if, if you cook, you know, like a beef chuck. Um, at 135 degrees for, um, you know, 48 hours, two days, um, it comes out as tender as the most tender steak you've ever had. And it's going to have a sort of uh, steak-like texture, but it has all the flavor of beef chuck, you know, which has a lot more flavor than, say, um, you know, a tenderloin or, um, or even a New York strip. Um, so so it, it, it's really a sort of unique way of cooking that, that has sort of unlocked all these new flavors and, and, and textures that we, we previously couldn't achieve. So is this where my close-mindedness starts to seep in, Kenji? Because I believe <laughs> that sous vide certainly has a place, and I'm I'm not against it. Uh -huh. I have one, and uh, there was another question I was going to ask, but hopefully I've written it down so I won't forget. But, you know, for steaks, for chicken, you know, for, let's say, traditional grilling, higher heat mm -hmm. type of situations, I see where if you're not paying attention or you don't have the skill set down, you know, you can run right past mm -hmm. that internal temperature you want, and now you've screwed it up, and you have to right. eat crow in front of everybody. So sous vide gives you that right. buffer, right? So, But with the big stuff, I mean, you say two days cooking a, a beef chuck or, you know, I know some of these guys on other websites that are doing briskets for 48 hours and, you know, and all this. And I'm right, like, right, dude, right. you know, low and slow barbecue, if you do it right, you can get all this great stuff finished product-wise for like way less time, and I understand you're just dropping it in, but I don't. I don't think I want to say, "Hey, I'm going to drop this in on a Sunday so I can eat it on a mm -hmm. Tuesday." I mean, am I in the minority there? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if you're in the minority. I mean, yeah, there, there, 
I think, you know, there are different things, different tools for different times and different tools for different people. So I, I'm not trying to force everyone to use sous vide. Um, you know, so, so for something like a beef chuck, um, you, you know, you can do it at like 165 degrees for eight or 12 hours, and which, you know, which I think is pretty comparable to normal barbecue time if you want to properly tenderize something, right? But, um, but you know, but like I said, the, the results that you get out of doing it at a lower temperature for a longer time are, you know, I'm not going to say that they're better or worse than um, traditional barbecue. Um, I'm just going to say that they're different. Um, so, so you can achieve textures that you, you previously, previously have not experienced before. Um, and, and, you know, so for me, it's like, it's difficult to say, you know, which is better, fried chicken or grilled chicken, you know, and, and you may be having a personal opinion about which one is better, but I, I think it's very difficult to say that there's a universal truth that one of those is better than the other. It's really just a subjective thing. Um, and so for me, you know, the more tools you have in your bag and the more techniques you have in your arsenal, um, you know, the, the more pleasure food can bring because you can bring a, you, you, every meal can be different and you have, you know, I, I think just having a greater skill set and a greater, greater tool set is always a positive thing. Um, so maybe, maybe, um, you know, sous vide, um, beef chuck is not for you. Um, but maybe, maybe, you know, maybe you like your beef chuck, uh, barbecue traditionally 80% of the time, but then 20% of the time, one out of five times you want to say, you say, Hey, you know what, this time I'm in the mood for sous vide barbecue beef chuck. Um, and I think that's totally fine. You know, it's okay to like both of them. And it's, I, I think it's actually good to like both of them uh, because they're, they're different experiences. Um, you know, the other, the other thing I would say is that I think for a lot of people, um, the, the part of the difficulty of getting into sous vide is that it really is a sort of different way of thinking about your food. Um, and so you, you do have to sort of get used to this idea of like, you know what, I want, I'm going to eat a beef chuck. I want, I want a barbecue beef chuck on Sunday night. So on Friday afternoon, I'm going to drop it in the water. And, you know, my machine is just going to be sitting in the corner of my kitchen. Um, it's, it's silent. So it's doing its work, uh, you know, virtually silent. So it's, it makes about the same amount of noise as like a, uh, an aquarium, you know? Um, so it's virtually silent. It's sitting in the corner of my, my kitchen. I, I don't really don't have to pay attention to it from now until Sunday. Um, and then when Sunday rolls around, all I have to do is, you know, fire up that grill or fire up that smoker, throw the meat in there just to get the smoke flavor on it. Um, and it's ready to go. And I think for a lot of people, that's actually significantly less work than, um, you know, particularly for someone who doesn't say have a, a pellet smoker or, or some, some kind of uh, barbecue equipment that, that, you know, takes a lot of the sort of the manual control away from you, something, something that makes it easier to automate, you know, for people who are, are, are barbecuing on their, on their Weber grill, where you really have to sort of pay attention to how many wood chunks you're putting in there, how, how, the, how the vents are going. Um, you know, it's eight hours of barbecuing is not just eight hours of set it and forget it. It's eight hours of sort of, you know, I have to be there babysitting it. And, and I can, you know, and, and for some people that's fun. And oftentimes, you know, it's great. I can, I can, I'm, I'm happy to stay up all night drinking beers with, with a friend and, you know, and monitoring, uh, monitoring that brisket. Um, but there are other times when I just want to say, you know what, I'm going to drop it in this bag, drop it in the sous vide cooker and forget about it. And I know it's going to come out perfectly, um, every time. So, um, you know, I, I think it's sort of a, it's sort of a false dichotomy to say it has to be one or the other. Um, I think both of them are unique methods and both of them have their place. Um, and I think understanding how both of them work is actually you know, better than, better than knowing just one of them or being uh, always, you know, or being insistent that one is better than the other. All right. So we're going to run out of time, so I can't ask you both questions. So I'll, I'll stay on the equipment okay. side this time. Because sous vide has become popular and because back four mm -hmm. and five years ago, sous vide machines were five and six hundred dollars. And we're not even talking about huge ones, kind of like the ones that I have. But now technology right. has rapidly advanced and five years where we are now. 
completely yeah. different look. I mean, they almost look like those handheld blenders. Do you have a, a right, suggestion right. if somebody wants to get one for Christmas or delve into this? Is there a brand or brands that you suggest? Yeah, yeah. So right now there are two leading brands that I would recommend. Um, one of them is the Innova, um, and that one is a sort of more tradi- so. So both of these are um, are circulators. So they're uh, devices that you stick into a pot of water or a, a bucket of water. Um, and it sucks up water, heats it to a precise temperature, and then spits it back out. And it sort of constantly circulates water around. Um, it's it's much better than sort of, I think, the all-in-one devices because it's easier to store. So the Innova um, is, is a... Um, a circulator that has onboard controls, so you don't, you don't, you, all you have to do is plug it in. There's a little scroll wheel that lets you set the temperature and you hit go. Um, it also has sort of Wi-Fi and Bluetooth capability, um, so you can. There's an app that you can connect to on your phone, um, and that app comes preloaded with a lot of recipes. Um, and actually, a lot, a lot of my recipes are preloaded and guides are preloaded onto that app. So if you if you like the series eat sous vide recipes, um, they'll be right on that app for the Innova. Um, the other, the other device that I really like is called the Jewel. Um, J-O-U-L-E, and that's made by a company called uh, Chef Steps based out of Seattle. Um, the Jewel is uh, the smallest sous vide device on the market. It's really small. It fits in a, it fits in a, you know, in your knife, in your knife drawer really easily. Oh. Um, it's really slick. It's really nice. Totally waterproof. Um, the, the, uh, the only thing about it is that it uh, has no onboard control. So you must control it from an app. Um, so for some people, that's a turn off. You know, you don't want to have to pull out your phone every time want to turn the machine on and off. Um, I actually have mine connected to my, uh, my Amazon um, Echo. Um, so, you know, I can say, hey, Alexa, ask Jewel to set the temperature to 165 degrees, and it'll just get it going for me. Um, but, but for some people, that's a turnoff. Um, so, you know, if, if, you want the, if you want the onboard controls, um, I would definitely suggest the Innova. Um, if you prefer something uh, that's a little more compact um, and don't mind using your phone, then the Jewel would be the way to go. And, and both of them, I think, right now are like, one ninety nine. They go through sales typically, but they're usually between one hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars. Because uh, the holidays are impending, do you have like one or two recipes that you are going to be using or that you share with people when they ask you? Yeah. Um, well, I would. I would. So um, you know, prime rib is really great to eat. Um, and I and uh, and if you, if you like turkey for the holidays, um, I have a. Um, uh, porchetta style turkey. So you basically uh, take the turkey breasts, um, flatten them out, season them uh, in the style of an Italian porchetta. So with you know, fennel, red pepper, garlic, um, and then you roll it up and wrap it in the skin and cook it sous vide. And it uh, it sort of cures a little bit and it comes out. Uh, I mean, incredibly I mean, the juiciest turkey you'll ever taste. I'm mean, incredibly juicy um, and really flavorful because of all that porchetta seasoning. So I, I yeah, I, sous vide for the holidays, I would recommend either a prime rib um, or a uh, turkey porchetta. As far as finishing it off, uh, are you a fan of the pan or a broiler or a grill, or does it not matter to you? Um, it, it, yeah, it depends what I'm in the mood for. I'd say, but I would say a pan or the grill. Um, some people like using a torch. Um, for me, a torch is a little clumsy. It's a little bit hard to get an even sear. Um, I find a pan to be much more efficient. Um, uh, and, and the grill, you know, if you have a really nice hot grill, um, I would either recommend, you know, gas grills, sometimes it's difficult to get them hot enough. Um, unless you have a really sort of high-end gas grill, uh, but definitely a charcoal grill. You know, if you're if you're using um, um, natural hardwood um, or or even briquettes, you can get them hot enough because um, you you really want to get like a really really hot sear. Um, so a cast iron pan or a grill, I think, would be the way to go. Would you ever do the natural or the the uh, hardwood lump charcoal and just throw that bitch right there on the charcoal and do a caveman sear? Yeah, you yeah you absolutely can. Um, 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's that is definitely a good way to go. You know, especially for something like a you know like a, a nice um, you know a nice a, a nice ribeye. Um, for for me, I think that you know that sort of charred that charred flavor goes really well with beef. Um, so yeah, for for a steak, I would definitely recommend that. Any uh, posts coming up from uh, Serious Eats that we want to check out here in the next coming days or so? Uh, in terms of barbecue or in terms just, of uh, no, just in general, just in general. Um, well, coming up, I'm doing a, um, I'm working actually on a, a video for one of my most popular recipes from about five years ago, which is a, um, a reverse, a reverse sear prime, prime rib. Um, so that's a prime rib, which you start in a low and slow oven and then finish with a really hot sear. Um, I think it's without a sous vide device, um, or maybe even with a sous vide device, I think it's the best way hands down to cook prime rib. Um, gets you really even temperature from edge to center. It comes out extremely tender. Um, I, I, it's, it's, um, yeah, I think, I think it's the best way to cook prime rib. So that, that video should be up, uh, on Thursday on the site, actually. All right. We'll check that out. This is Kenji Lopez all from seriouseats.com. Kenji, really appreciate the time tonight, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. There he is. It's Kenji Lopez all from serious eats. And of course the food lab. So you want to check it out. The food lab, of course, uh, also a book. That Meathead said is like 1A and 1B on his shelf for people holding up both, right? So finally able to put together the Kenji Lopez discussion, and hopefully that was up to standard. We did it. It only took two months or whatever it was, but, man, we pulled it off. And get a good background about Kenji and what he's up to. How the serious eats deal came to be. I always find the fascination for me in, you know, this is a guy that didn't grow up around cooking, that wasn't part of the life, and he kind of got into it later in life. I think more and more people I talk to here on this show, that's more what I'm thinking of. What can I tell you? Okay, gang, if you're like me, then you are always thinking of ways to step up the barbecue and grilling it. There's no better or easier way to do that than by adding a little butcher barbecue to your arsenal. That's right. Here we go. We all know butcher is ready for that prime injection. The sauces, the rubs, the grilling oils. This is also a one-stop shop, okay? Here's what I'm telling you. You have Prime Injection. What is that? It's combined all things that are loved from the beef injection using its award-winning flavor enhancer, its ability to keep your brisket juicy. They have combined it with what has become the competition standard in beef flavor available for sale right now at ButcherBBQ.com. They got go-to rubs and sauces. Friends, if you've, you've hit the mother load, okay, here we go. Rub-wise, steak and brisket rub, honey rub, the old standbys, the new rubs, cherry, pecan, Secret blend, private blend seasoning, and chipotle. Then you have the sauce, sweet barbecue sauce. Look, when it comes to sauce, I'm as picky as it gets. And butcher sweet sauce wins in every category for me. Not overly sweet, a nice slice of tang, just the right amount of back end heat, and for crying out loud, no liquid smoke. Dave took time and effort, not the easy way. Not the easy way. By adding that devil's urine, better known as liquid smoke. And I say that because 
If you go to your aisle where all the barbecue sauce is, and now there's 7,000 bottles of barbecue sauce when there only used to be like seven. Crack them open. Take a sniffy sniff. You know eight out of ten of those bottles is going to smell like they got liquid smoking. Because they do. I'm not particularly a fan. If you're a fan, hey, I know I know I'm the minority on that. Gang, get the grilling oil. Make a New Year's resolution that if you haven't tried it, get the grilling oil. ButcherBBQ.com. Stock up. Get all you want. ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. All right, we're back to wrap the show right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back. Name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue. It's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. Thanks again to Kenji Lopez-Alt from Serious Eats. Also, the Food Lab is part of that as well. And uh, I guess if you're looking for a great book, a sign for Meathead's book, you might want to look at the Food Lab. Uh, and Kenji wrote Meathead's Forward, I believe is what uh, Meathead said as well. I believe I read that. Anyway, on my own. So there you go. Two uh, New York Times best-selling authors here on this show. Um, uh, did I erase that? Matt, I did not get, if you sent it, I did not get the address to ship your prize to. So resend that, please. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Matt, 50 50 on knowing his uh, porn star is an athlete. What can I tell you? Um, also, I believe we're lined up for at least two to three more, at least through the end of the year, for prizes uh, top of the second hour. Next week, we'll probably do cheese and font because a lot of people are probably starting to really hone in on what sports stars have porn names and just studying porn names. So what can I tell you? 216-220-0966. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. Getting a lot of uh, feedback on Kenji's appearance. Uh, people liked him. Some people didn't like him. You know what I say? If everybody likes you, you ain't doing it right. I get the same reviews each and every week, and I got the email to prove it. Yikes! <laughs> All right, let's ramp up and get the hell out. All the way back in the first hour, we talked with Meathead Goldwyn. 
We ramped up on the beef roast talk, trying to get you your best info. Because in a couple weeks, you know it's going to be on for Christmas Eve. Uh, maybe uh, you're doing a prime rib roast for uh, Hanukkah or whatever you're celebrating, whatever holiday you have. So, you want to be on top of that game. If you've missed the first hour, you can go back and get it about uh, an hour from now on the audio. Video will be up tomorrow. Then in the second hour, we talked with Kenji Lopez-Alt from Serious Eats. That's SeriousEats.com. A lot about sous vide cooking. I'm still eh, not against it all the way. Not totally on board all the way. Next time we have him on, we will have the debate. If you start barbecue food in a sous vide bag and then finish it on the cooker, can you call it barbecue? Or do we need to make up a new classification? Do we need to snob out? Do we? Yes. Uh, we got a great show lined up for you next Tuesday already. Stephen Reichland will be in. Grill Girl, Robin Lindars will be in, amongst others. Dan Uladal will be in from Chops. Looking forward to catching up with Dan. Plus others. Plus stuff to win. Plus then a week away from Christmas. Ho, where did the time go? September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. And until we see you next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.